right. We are learning to live a meaningful life from a guy that says, meaningless, meaningless, right? <laughs> like, um, we're glad you're here with us. We are continuing the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's what we're finding. We're finding a meaningful life. We're trying to find meaning <clears throat> in this world that we live in, and, uh, and we're learning from a guy by the name of Solomon who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he got to experience everything in life, everything under the sun, and then he's sharing his wisdom with us. What did he see? What did he experience? What does it mean to live a meaningful life, okay? So, uh, so this is what I want to encourage you. Every week we have these things called the reading plan, right? And so we want to encourage you to be reading God's Word every single week. It is on our app, on our phone app, our web app. It's, it's printed. You can grab copies on your way out. Um, and you can read along as you read through these chapters uh, throughout the week. And we want to encourage you to do that. Because if you come and you show up on a Sunday and you hear a message and then you go throughout the rest of your week... Um, I'll say our heart is to help you become a disciple of Christ, meaning we want Christ to be so uh, at the forefront of our lives that we start to look and love like him. But the reality is all of us all week long have other things discipling us. We have media, we have TV, we have web, we have podcasts, we have uh, social media, we have tons of things that we allow into our lives that disciples us, makes us think certain ways, right? We want Christ to be the one who um, is at the center. I hear a little bit of a feedback there, Sam, up here for me, so I don't know if that's just me hearing it, but I'm, if you just pull the low end down just a little bit, maybe. There we go. Thank you, Sam. Everybody say, thank you, Sam. Thank you. you guys get to hear from Sam next week as he's going to wrap up the series. Look forward to that. I always love Sam preaching, man. It's always awesome. Um, so this week, we're continuing the series. Now, we've learned some things. We've learned about bicycles and bubbles. Remember that? Those of you who are here, if you weren't here, like, what is this church? All right, so like, you have to go back and watch the message uh, as we kicked off this series, because we learned about, you know, bubbles, that life is a vapor. It's just, boom, it's here, it's gone, right? And that we, we are breathe life into us from God, and then we live our life, and then poop, poop. <laughs> it's out at the end. <laughs> I meant poof, all right? Some of us poop, it's out, you know, it's like, boom, we're done. We poop out the end. Anyways, uh, and then we learned about time. You guys remember that message about time? That God said eternity in our hearts. We feel time clicking and ticking. We can't gain it. We can't, you know, we can't make it multiply. Like, we, we can only invest it. And we want to use our time well while we're on this earth. We want to have a meaningful life with our time. Last week, Nikki brought the message about relationships. That, and to have a meaningful life, you have to have healthy, godly relationships in your life. You just do. She called them the BGPs, the big godly people we need those people in our life to help us continue to grow and, and, and walk with God. And so we ask, who, are you, who, are your, who is your two? Who, who are the people around you uh, to help you experience that? Actually, that was the memory verse that we're in right now. Uh, we want you to be memorized in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 um, is just that. That's the main point of last week's message. So let's read this out loud together, this one. Okay, ready? One person. Okay, you and me. We're in it. All right. Uh, uh, no, let's all read it together. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. You need those people in your life, right? I always say this about relationships. At the end of the day, you don't need a good sermon. You need a good someone. Um, I can preach till I'm red in the face, but the, honestly, the, the way you're going to change and grow the most is the people around you the people you choose to put in your life. And so we want you to have some good someones around you. And we have ways to do that here at New Hope. We've got small groups where that happens. This is where most of the people who experience this, that's where they find it, in small groups here at New Hope. Um, or we have Equip, which is a deeper cohort that we talk about a lot that's starting here in October. Uh, we also have classes. If you want to join a growth class, you can start build relationships in there. There's lots of different ways we want to help you find those people in your life. And, uh, and so that you can experience these good things to have a meaningful life. Now let's jump into this morning's message. And, and so I, I have the easy challenge of covering chapters 5 through 11 this morning, okay? So that's a lot, okay? Because 5 through 11, you're going to see some key themes bubble up in it because it's kind of the wisdom part. You see parts of those chapters were just like wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. It's like these like fast shots of short wisdom statements. Uh, you see where he starts pulling God into, you know, thinking about God. And, and so there's some themes that I'm going to pull out from all those chapters, okay? So you're going to have to go there with me. I'm making three points, and, uh, and we're, we're going to pray, and then we're going to go watch a football game outside for the tailgate party. Sound good? All right. Uh, if you don't know what that's, we'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, but who here uh, loves being out? We got people who love being outside. We got outside people, right? Especially like in the summer or it's warm, you love being out in the sun, right? 
Are there any white people in the house? Yo, yo, me, that's me, right? Like any people that the sun is not your friend, right? When you go out in the sun, you have to wear a hat. You got to like, you know, slather up with every layer of 150, you know, whatever SPF. That's me, right? Like being out in the sun, I love being outside, but the sun can be a little crazy. I remember... uh, there was one time Nikki and I, before we had kids, we did like a final kind of big trip pre-kids, and uh, we went to Zihuatanejo, Mexico, which is this small little fishing village. We got like a really cheap deal on, on a resort that we got to stay at for a week. And uh, it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And for me, just so you know, like when I'm outside, I have a shirt on. If I don't have a shirt on, I tell you what happens. Google satellites go out because of the reflection that comes off my back. It's like, it like sparks everything. It's horrible. Um, Because I learned when I was a kid, if I don't have a shirt on, I turn like bright red in like five minutes. And then it's very painful. And so we were in Mexico whole time, making sure, lathered up, you know, always wearing a shirt. And we were down by the pool the last day. I'm like, "Ah, nobody else is here. We had the whole pool to ourselves. I I won't wear a shirt and we'll just swim. We'll just have fun. And uh, we were there for half an hour, the last day of our trip. And it ruined me for the next week and a half because my shoulders were like glowing and like you know that pain, that pain that's like, there's no other kind of pain, like a sunburn pain, and you got to put a shirt on every morning, and you put the shirt on, like, and then someone goes, hey, how's it going, buddy? And they tap your shirt, like, you know, that's painful. Can anybody relate? Yeah, you feel the sunburns before? Have you ever had weird sunburns? Like, you've been places, and you forgot to put on sunscreen, you really should have, you might look like this guy. Oops, right? Like, like go to the parade, they said. You won't need sunscreen, they said. <laughs> like, or, uh, or this guy slept with his hand on his stomach. Uh, on the, that's a nice one right there. Or the kid in college that forgot to put sunscreen on before the paint, and so afterwards he looks like, you know, <laughs> tiger stripe sunburn. Lesson learned, right? You just have to be careful under the sun, right? Because the sun can burn you. Uh, The sun puts out a lot of things that can be harmful to your body. And the longer you're in the sun, the worse it is for your body. The worse it is for your skin. Um, You can get to the point where all of a sudden you get skin cancer. Your skin has said, you've had way too much of this, and now there's a disease and you're going to have cancer, and now we're going to have to remove parts of it because there's nothing else we can do because that's how sunburnt you've gotten over the period of your life, right? The sun can be very damaging. If If you are in it and you're wise in it, you can enjoy it. But if not, you'll get sunburned. Now, why are we talking about sunburns? Because you'll see in this, in this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, under the sun, 27 times. He, he talks about life under the sun, and he's talking about life literally like our life that we live on our days here on this earth, whatever's lived underneath the sun. That's, that's life. We begin, boom, we live life under the sun, and boom, at the end, we're no longer under the sun, Right? And so as he's talking about living under the sun, he's helping us understand that life is short. Um, And for him, he, we we, we learned this, you know, the very first week, he had everything Solomon did. I mean, the wealthiest man ever lived. He had all the wisdom. He had had everything ever wanted, right? And the key things that I talk about that he had that we're still trying to pursue today, nothing's changed because he says nothing's new under the sun. The human condition hasn't changed under the sun. It's the pursuit of knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex. Those are the key things that we're still trying to get today. <clears throat> Excuse me, nothing's changed under the sun. And he had it all. He had all those things in a great measure beyond anybody else who maybe has ever lived. And now he's telling us, meaningless, meaningless, like poof, it's a vapor. Um, this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, uh, he said this, he said, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He's like, I tried it all, I did it all, and it all ended up not fulfilling. It all ended up not giving me purpose. It all ended up not actually accomplishing what I thought it would do. It just was stuff. It was just, there it was. And it was, mean, it was a vapor. It was meaningless. And what he's trying to tell us, and that this is what I want us to understand about sunburn, about being sunburned, we don't want to be sunburned. If all we pursue is under the sun, you're going to get sunburned. Meaning your life will get burnt. 
you'll, you'll get to the end of it and you realize that was a waste and actually there was a lot of pain in that process and it's still, I achieved nothing. Meaningless, meaningless. And so here's my first point. You can write this down. If you only pursue things under the sun, you will get sunburned. <laughs> you with me? If you only pursue those five or six things, if, if, if all you're gonna do in life is try to gain more knowledge, gain more wealth, gain more pleasure, more work, fame, sex, whatever that is, if, you, if that's all you're gonna pursue under the sun, if that's all you're pursuing, you're going to get sunburned, meaning it's not going to fulfill you, and it's actually going to cause pain in the end. It'll be a pain on your skin. It'll be a pain in your life. It won't create fulfillment or meaning in your life. Now, some of you are like, well, but I'm still going to try. And that's the reality. All of us, we still try. Even though we hear and we heed the words, there's something inside of us that still says, but that's where I want to find meaning. I want to find meaning in my work. There's nothing wrong with finding meaning in work, Right? I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But if it's all your meaning, you're going to get sunburned, right? You're going to be pursuing things that aren't going to last. The bottom line is there's no hearse with a U-Haul. None of this you're going to take with you. None of it. And so I would encourage you to aim at the right thing, at something beyond under the sun, right? I like how C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis said it this way. If you aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you actually get neither. When you aim at the right thing, when you pursue something greater than this that's under the sun, you will actually get some enjoyment of the things under the sun, and you get heaven. But if all you pursue is under the sun, all you're going to get is meaningless, meaningless in the end. We don't want to live meaningless lives. We want to lead uh, meaningful lives. We want to live meaningful lives, right? You with me? And so that's this tension that he's going through through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It's a great book for right now in this point of history, I believe, because I think uh, we all have more access to more things than ever. I mean, we have access to way more things than ever, and yet we're still seeing the human condition of taking things to the next extreme because they didn't find meaning in that level. And so then you take it to what? The next extreme because there wasn't meaning in that level. And it just keeps going and going and going. That's the meaningless world, the meaningless things that will get you burnt under the, the sun. And so I want us to learn this morning three quick things um, to help us live meaningful lives, okay? So, so let's get into kind of the key passages today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 8 and then 7, and then we're going to be all over Ecclesiastes, okay? Because I'm covering a lot, so if you want to go to these verses with me, you can. Uh, you can have your Bible open to Ecclesiastes and kind of be turning back and forth. Um, if you want to just highlight these verses and go back and reread them again, you can do that. Um, I'm going to be going into the New Testament some this morning as well. So, so just get ready to follow me. You ready to follow me? Yep, okay. So here we go. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15, as we're trying to learn how to live a meaningful life under this sun, okay? So I commend the enjoyment of life. Because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life, all the days of life God has given them under the sun. So he's saying, if this is it, I commend you to enjoy it, right? Enjoy life. There's nothing better to, you know, to, to eat and drink and be glad. And then joy will accompany that. Uh, for all the days of the life that God has given them. So he's right here now acknowledging who is the giver of life, is God. God is the life giver, right? He gives us the gift of life. We have it. Uh, imagine this, um, parents in the room, if you, if you, well, if you're a parent, you have a kid, okay? So uh, let's uh, imagine that you spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, and you found the perfect gift for your child, and you gave that gift to your child, and you were so excited to give them, you knew they were going to love it, it's going to be exactly what they needed, and you gave it to them, and they looked at it with the greatest disappointment you've ever seen on their face ever. How does that make you feel as a parent? Come on, I spent so much time and energy in trying to find that right gift. Now imagine if they went to the next level, and they threw it on the ground, and then just started jumping on it. Would you be ticked off, parents? Excuse me, right? See, God is the gift giver of life. He has given us the gift of life. And so often what we do is say, eh, this gift sucks. And we complain about it and we whine about it. And God's like, I gave you that gift of life. 
And then some of us live in such a way that we just stomp all over it. And we actually are the ones that get hurt in the process. It's like, no, it's okay to enjoy the gift of life God has given you. It's okay to say, God, thank you for this life. I'm not going to complain about all the things that I don't like because we're all going to have things we don't like. Instead, I'm going to choose to enjoy what you've given me. If it's hard work, I'll work hard, God, and I'll, at, the, at the end of the day, I'll be thankful, God, I have a job and I can work. If it's a relationship, I'll thank God for this relationship. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's hard, but God, thank you for this relationship. He's saying, eat, drink, and be glad. Let joy fill your heart, okay? Because God is the giver of life. Uh, where are we going? Oh, 13 and 14 then. Ecclesiastes 7. He, he kind of says something similar. He says, Consider what God has done, who can straighten what he has made crooked. When times are good, be happy. It's like, who likes that verse, right? <laughs> like, like duh. You know, when times are good, be happy. Thank you, Solomon. That's wisdom. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Okay, that's like, that's a frustrating one. So when life is good, it's okay. Be glad. Uh, <clears throat> when, when the times are, are bad, we'll consider this. God is the one that's the holder of both. God holds the good. He holds the bad. He holds us in the good, and he holds us in the bad. God is the God of life. He's given us life. And so for us to be whining and complaining about the life we've been given, out. I say it. There's things I want to say. What comes out of your mouth will most likely become the prophecy of the end of your life. The fruit that comes out here will be the fruit you eat in the end. If you are one that complains every day about the life you've been given, you are the one that's ruining the life you've been given. He's saying wisdom is God is the keeper of all the good and the bad. We will all go through peaks and valleys. We have the choice if we're going to trust him in the day of the bad and as much as we trust him in the the day of the good and let him hold the whole thing and then we walk with him and we trust him in each one of those seasons. Because if all we're looking for is meaning, if all we're looking for is happiness, I'm telling you, your life isn't going to always be happy. You're not always going to have good things. Whenever you learn that God holds it all in his hands, you start to learn the power of the wisdom of the meaningless of under the sun and the joy of God's presence and the contentment that you can have in the tension in between. So, here's my point. Be content and trust God for every day. The secret of of living a meaningful life is learning to be content whether you're experiencing great things or whether you're experiencing difficult things when you learn to be content in the season of life that you're in you'll start to learn to trust God for those moments you'll actually start to understand his purposes in both there's a tension that we will always live with in this life and it is the good and it is the bad it's the joys and it's the hardships those will always exist in the same time. <laughs> when we learn to have the right perspective in life and learn how to walk with God and trust Him in either one of those circumstances, we learn to be content. I'm telling you, you'll walk with more peace, more confidence, and more, or more meaning in the life that God has given you under the sun. Be content and trust God for every day. He's the one that keeps it. He holds both. He's the one that knows the beginning and the end. He walks with us when we're the ones that walk ourselves into the pits. And he walks with us when life walks us into the pits. He is with us when we come out of the pit and enjoy a moment of joy, of, of goodness in our life. In all those circumstances, we can learn to eat, drink, and be glad. Because God is with us right? There's a contentment in that. This whole idea of contentment is not something that naturally comes to the culture we live in today. And it started from the very beginning of all creation. This issue, this issue of contentment and discontentment was the very first seed that got planted to ruin it all. 
In the very beginning, Adam and Eve had perfection in the garden. It was everything that they needed in relationship with each other, relationship with God, to relate and rule over this world that God had given them. Like, everything was perfect. And then the serpent, the enemy, Satan, comes. And what does he say to, to uh, Eve? Did God really say? And, and what was he playing to? No, you can't trust God. He's holding out on you. You should be discontent. What? They had everything perfect. And yet he said, you should be discontent because you don't have everything. That's the very first sin was the sin of discontentment that the enemy brought so that they could have what God had and it ruined us all. Thank you. Thank you, Eve and Adam. Thank you for that fallen sin. Like, now we all have the same issue every day of our life. I believe that is the way the enemy attacks so often is that issue of discontentment. He attacks our contentment. I don't know how many of you just have had really contented days. I, it's so funny because I, I remember the moment I felt the most content and it was, I was, it was so weird. It was so weird because I felt it. I knew it. I, it was like a, it was like a, it felt like time slowed down even though we know it doesn't slow down. And I, I it was, I don't know how our kids were younger, ministry was happening, and I remember sitting in a chair and just resting, and I felt this deep sense of peace and contentment like I'd never felt before, and I've never felt it again. It was like a, it was like a moment that I'm like, man, if that's what heaven feels like, I will take it. Because in heaven, there was perfect contentment. There's no more good and bad. There's no more tension. There's no, all that's gone. I'm like, if that's heaven, I want that. <laughs> heaven is the perfect contentment. And so while we're on this earth, we wrestle with that discontentment and contentment. We, we wrestle with it in our lives. You guys feel that tension? Yeah? You feel that tension? So that's what the enemy's been doing since the very beginning. And now today, it's still the same thing. The, the enemy's working in our lives trying to continually make us discontent. Uh, we call it capitalism. <laughs> like, we call it like, you know, like, uh, 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 we, we, this, we have this desire for more and more and more. Like, this, it's just in us. It's, it's that sin nature in us. And so advertisers and marketers know exactly how to get you what you want. And it's scary what they can do these days, right? To make you feel discontent. Uh, how many of you have ever been just like having a conversation with somebody and you're just talking about a certain thing and then, then like three hours later you go and you start scrolling on social media and all of a sudden ads for those things start popping up? Spooky. It's not spooky. It's called artificial intelligence and your phone is on all the time, right? Like they're listening because they, they want to hear what you're discontent with so they can show you how to be contented. That's marketing. That is what marketing is. Here's a problem. We can fix it. And so whatever your problem is, come to us. We'll, we'll help you fix it. But the problem is, those fixes don't actually fix it. I have a whole basement full of things that were fixes that didn't fix it. Anybody have a garage full of those things as well? Like, it's like, I had to have that thing, and then that thing is going to be the thing to fix the thing, and it's been in the garage a long time, right? Like, it didn't fix that thing, or I used it once, and it didn't, like, it's under the sun. Poof. It's momentary. It's temporary. Now, today, honestly, I think there's a huge shift from, the, like, the, the physical needs, like, the, um, tr yeah, the, the, I, think it, I think the shift, in the past, it used to be, like, keeping up with the Joneses, the Joneses bought this car, so I got to buy this car, they, they, they planted these trees, I got to plant these trees, you know, it's like keeping up with the Joneses, until, like, the Joneses became, like, the Joneses everywhere, and we saw everybody everywhere, not just our neighbor, you know, now we're seeing people in California, and we're like, I want what they have, and like, you live in Ohio, sorry, you can't have that, you know, like, like, it's not 70 degrees all year long, like, where we live, it gets crappy here, all right, so like, we see things, and it discontents us, and it's like, I wish I had that, but honestly, the thing isn't now stuff, it's emotions, our discontentment isn't with the physical things, it's with the emotional life inside of us. And, and that's the fruit of what's happened to us culturally around the world for the last number of years. When the pandemic hit, all of a sudden the things that mattered didn't matter as much, and then we all got emotionally unhealthy, honestly. Like, we all kind of had to start dealing with stuff, and we didn't want to deal with stuff, and so we kind of pushed stuff away, and so we, then we stuffed it all inside, and now here we are. We, we finally went on vacation. Like, whoo, finally I'm on vacation. Picture, 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 but our souls were still at, not at rest, even though we were somewhere else, and, 
And so all these things that we're trying to fill the discontentment of our emotions, of our soul, I think that's honestly the greatest idol right now, um, culturally and, and generational. We see younger generations. Like, they're not trying to buy a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you've heard about, like, the soft life. I don't know if you've read any articles about the soft Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about because you're, like, old. So, like, the younger people, I don't know if you know about this. Like, the soft life is, is I just want to do what I want to do. And so I'm going to live my life in a certain way that it's more about my lifestyle. It's not really about what I have or where I live. It's about my lifestyle and how it makes me feel. And so I'm not going to get a real job. A real job. There's no such thing as a real job. Just be honest. If you're working, you're working. You're not, you're not. So, like, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do just some gigs from time to time, you know. I'm, and, and those gigs, well, I'll just get enough money for what I need for that moment. And then I'm just going to live the lifestyle I want to live. So I'll, I read an article this week about a guy that lost his job. And he decided, you know, I didn't want that anyway. And he just went to Mexico. He's like, I'm just going to go to Mexico. And he got an apartment in Mexico. And he was like, well, this is cool. I like, I like it in Mexico. And he's like a 27-year-old guy, you know, making six figures in his job. And so he's like, I'm just going to gig out. And now I'm going to, well, I'm going to keep my place in New York. So I'm going to live part-time in New York, part-time in Mexico. And it's really about my lifestyle. It makes me how, how, how it makes me feel. I'm not really living for the man anymore. I'm not trying to, like, work for the system. But I'm just going to do my own thing. It's a new hippieism, right? It's a, it's a, it's a new, like, like, I just want to feel good. There's nothing new under the sun, y'all. And so what we do with our emotional life, I think, is where the discontentment comes the most. I don't know if you've ever seen a thermostat like this before. This is old school thermostat, right? Um, so a thermostat, what's the point of a thermostat? A thermostat is there to regulate the temperature in the house or the room, right? That's its job, to make sure it's always at a perfect 70 degrees, right? Those of you that keep it like 78 degrees in your house, what? Like, you know, I've been to those people's houses. I'm like, it's, you know, like, bird, and they put on a sweater. I'm like, who are you? You know, or the people, like, it's always got to be like 65. We got any, like, cold sleepers? Like, at night, you're like, I need to see my breath when I sleep, right? Okay. Whew. So you go crazy extremes. But the whole point of a thermostat is to regulate the temperature, you know, in the room. See, we have this thing right now, I think, culturally, that is more of an emotional thermostat. This is where discontentment and contentment comes into play. And I love this imagery. We were talking about this in our teaching team, and Sam actually brought this up. He's like, this is what we all have. We have this emotional thermostat that we're trying to control. And this thermostat's regulating between two emotions, and it's either sad or happy. And so what we're trying to figure out in life is, is this thing that I'm doing right now, where is it? Oh, okay, everything's good. I'm right at, you know, I feel like that good middle of the ground. Things are good right now. And you experience something that leads you way to the happy side. I'm like, man, that was awesome. And you love it. And it's great. And it fills you up. And you're like, that was a blast. You know, that kind of thing. And then you just come back to here. But a lot of times what happens is you come back to here, right? Because after the happy, you realize it was a moment. And when the moment passes, a lot of time what happens in the temperature of our souls is it takes us way below. And we experience a low then at that point. And then we're not, like, we feel empty. It's like, what is that? This is what Solomon's talking about. Meaningless, meaningless. We pursue something that, woo, yeah, I feel like crap, you know, and, and we go back and forth. And what we try to do is regulate our contentment based upon this thermostat. How am I feeling? How's my soul? Am I happy? Am I sad? And so we'll do things to do this. Every day, every moment of the day, we do these things, right? Like, what, what do you use to regulate your emotional thermostat. I, I'll tell you what mine is. This is me confession time, right? This is Pastor Tim telling you the thing that I go to, and it's stupid. There's this thing called Facebook, right? And on Facebook, they have this amazing thing called Facebook Marketplace <laughs> where everybody sells everything. And uh, I don't know how much time I've wasted on Facebook Marketplace, like hours and hours of my life on Facebook. Like last week, I was so convicted. I'm like, I got to delete this off my phone. I, I got to stop because I would feel it. I would feel the emptiness of just scrolling and looking at stuff and be like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's neat. Do you know how many things I bought off Facebook Marketplace? Zero. I've not bought a thing. <laughs> but for some reason, whenever I start feeling like down here, like, uh, I don't, uh, I just feel kind of like I'm bored or like I just, uh, it's, I, there's this thing that we get ourselves in habits where we don't even think about it. Our fingers know to go, sure, plunk. Right? And all of a sudden we get this quick fix. Oh, 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 
of excitement or maybe it does something to your brain chemically. It's like you get a hit or a kick. And we all use different things to get that hit or that kick of, I don't like this, I'm discontent with feeling this way. And we regulate ourselves back and forth and back and forth. Some of it can be like just meaningless stuff that's just a waste. But sometimes it gets real dangerous, doesn't it? Sometimes we start going down rabbit holes. Like I'm telling you, like pornography is one of those, just, it, it'll take you deep and deep and deep because there's, there's never, just so you know, pornography, there's never an end. There's never a moment of satisfaction that actually comes. Because what happens is you see, you experience, you may self-satisfy. I'm not, I'm being careful with my words. And at that point, it's like, whoo, and then your brain and the chemicals go off in your brain. It's as if you just took a shot of more of, uh, what did they say, heroin? Like that's the same response. You get this quick, but then you're empty right away and your soul's empty and then you feel guilty and you're like, ah. And so then you look for something more and it gets a little more dangerous and gets a little more dangerous until you want something real because that's not really getting me there. That's, do you see what I'm saying? Whatever it is for you, there's always a next step. And that next step will lead to, well, that didn't really fully satisfy, and I'm still kind of feeling, sure. what's the next thing that will help me? And we keep trying to do quick fixes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to regulate our emotional thermostat in ways because there's this discontentment that's just not going away. Man, I'm telling you, we all have to be so careful. Now, I'm going to confess something. I deleted that app, but do you know what I did? I reinstalled it. Seriously, on Saturday, I was so bored. I'm like, well, maybe I'll just see if there's any sobs for sale. I already bought a sob. I bought one two weeks ago. And I'm like, I'm still going to look at other sobs because I'm, I'm addicted. And that's what happens to us. It's like, why do we do these things? It can be stupid or it can be super dangerous, anywhere in between. You know what yours is. What do you use? The question for, for me to you. What do you use to regulate the emotional thermostat when that discontentment kicks in? I'm telling you, if it's anything other than God, we're trying to fill a, a hole in our hearts and our lives that's not going to get filled. It's just not. It's going to become meaningless, meaningless. Because this is what we do. This is Ecclesiastes 7.29. This only have I found. God created mankind upright. He breathed life into us. He's given us the gift of life. He has given that to all of us, but they have gone in search of many schemes. That's what we do try to scheme our way. Like, how do I fix myself? How do I do this? How do I do that? And if we try to do it with all the things under the sun, all you're going to get is sunburn. That's all you're going to get. We need to learn what Paul learned. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, man, he went through ups and downs, crazy things. I mean, he was was tortured. He was beaten. He was arrested. uh, He preached the gospel. He saw fruit of the Spirit. And like, he, he experienced all of the same things. And this is what he said through all those things that he went through in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 as he's trying to teach young Timothy, a pastor, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? This is the condition of the human heart. And when we just keep going down those trails, that's what ends up happening. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So many people misquote that verse, right? Money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is just money. It's neutral. What you do with it is either good or evil, right? Like what you do with it is waste it, spend it, invest it. It's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's like, people who were good godly people, but discontentment with the things under the sun grabbed and captured their heart to where they pursued that more and more and more, and they felt like they needed it more and more, and greed entered in. When greed enters in, man, it's going to lead you down all sorts of painful paths. You're trying to find purpose in something that's fleeting. He learned the secret. But godliness and contentment. Let's read that together, just verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Who wants great gain? I do. You do. I'm, I'm assuming all of us. That is what we want in life. We want our life to be of great gain. And we need to pursue the right things that he puts in front of us so that we can live a life of great gain. So what is contentment? This is what contentment is. Contentment is confidence in God. 
That's what it is. Contentment is confidence in God and not in this world. It's confidence that God holds the good and he holds the bad. He holds my life and I can trust him with it. Contentment is not worrying about what the future holds, but knowing who holds the future. These are pastor phrases, by the way. Right? Here's another good one. If you have peace for eternity, you can have peace for the temporary. If you pursue heaven first, you get earth thrown in. Right? You you can experience peace in this world when God gives you the peace that comes from him. When we learn to live in contentment with where we are, what we have, and where God has us each day. And not worry about tomorrow, not worry about the next day, not worry about the next day. We are in charge of today. We're in charge of what we say today, what comes out of our mouths. We're in charge of our hearts today, what is stirring inside. We're in charge of uh, our relationships today, those who are closest to it. Like, we can do good or we can do evil. We can appease ourselves with the thermostat emotionally, or we can choose to trust God no matter where our emotions go. Sometimes it's okay to be sad. Sometimes it's okay to sit. Some of you like sad movies. Some of you like sad movies where you sit there and you cry the whole thing. I'm like, what is wrong with you, right? Like, I I say that in love, all right? So like, because honestly, maybe we can learn from you because sometimes we need to cry. We need to feel the weight of something. Uh, There's a whole, uh, there's there's a whole spiritual discipline of lament that we don't understand today. To lament in something is to feel the full weight of something difficult in our hearts and lives. To let it just be like, yes, this sucks. To brain vomit it out of you. I mean, let whatever's in there, that is that lament of that heaviness and just getting it out before God and feeling the full weight of it is actually part of the release of handing it to God and saying, God, now I'm going to be content with you in it. We need to sometimes let ourselves feel so that we can heal. And some of you have been holding on to things that you don't want to feel for a long, long, long time. And I'm telling you, it's ruining you. Because when you don't deal with what you feel, it turns into some uglies. That's where the seed of like bitterness starts to come in. That's where um, judgmental attitudes start coming in. That's where you start comparing yourself to other people instead of letting yourself just be compared with you. Right? Like all those ugly things when you don't deal with what you feel. So let God be the one that brings you contentment. So question, and I'm doing a challenge question in the middle of the sermon. What causes the most unhealthy discontent in your life right now? What in your life is causing the most unhealthy discontentment? There's some things it's okay to be discontent with. Like, it's okay to be discontent with where you are spiritually. It's okay to be discontent with where you are maybe relationally. Meaning, like, if it's going to help you do something better or change for the good, it's okay to be discontent with, like, sin in your life, right? That's good discontentment. I'm talking about the bad discontentment. That's stuff that just steals. It's meaningless. What are those things for you that are causing the most unhealthy discontentment in your life? Okay. Say, man, Tim, we're just going heavy today. Yes, we are. Okay, my last two points are going to be 30 minutes each, so we've got an hour. <laughs> it's okay, you're staying to one for football, so we'll just, we'll just hang out. I'm just kidding. I've got two quick points, okay? My main point is let's learn to be content with God, right? That's my main point this morning. These ones, these are like bonus points, okay? These, these ones are like, this is some ways that you can actually just practically do that, okay? So here's, here's this one. Work when it's time to work and rest when it's time to rest. If you want to have a meaningful life, work when it's time to work and rest when it's time to rest. Some of you are way better at one than the other, right? Some of you are resting way too much and you need to work. <laughs> and some of you are working way too much and you need to learn to rest. Like this is like a spectrum, you know, like if work is over here, if all you do is work your entire life, um, you're going to miss out on all the relationships in your life. That's just how it's going to go. If you're pursued by work, that means probably your identity is being too, too much wrapped up in that work that you're doing because then if you fail at that work, your whole identity gets like scrubbed and you get hurt. Like that's a problem. 
If work is your identity and you're letting work be the thing you always do, you're going to hurt a lot of people in the process of you getting that work done. This is where like megalomaniacs come into play, people who like are so obsessed by work and their job that they can't stop thinking about it. Every night they stay up and they work on it. Every day they get to work and they can't stop working on it. Like everything is, their brain is just wired towards that's all I got to do and all I can focus on, all I can think about, all I can, and they're going to miss out on everything else in their life. Like, so that's that extreme. And then you go to the other extreme, which is the rest, and, and we will call it and label it lazy. Like, you're the one that, like, I want to do the minimal amount of work possible to survive today, right? Like, I, I don't like work. I hate work. Don't make me work. Anybody know anybody like that? You can point at them right now. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> like, if, if that's your extreme, then basically you're not going to produce anything for anybody else in your life. You're just about you, and that's, that's a complete selfish life, Right? So, like, there's two major extremes. Complete laziness, like, nah, I'm just not going to work, or I'm just going to, like, feed off of other people, and I'm going to crash other people's houses, and I'm going to live off the government, and I'm going to, like, go to this place, and go, everything I want is free, and everybody should give it to me because I deserve it, right? That's, that's over here. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about people, okay? And then I'm going to work, 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 work. Uh, yeah, I had kids, but they're, I don't know, my wife takes care of them, or my husband takes care of them, or the nanny takes care of them, or the school takes care of them. I forget their names. What are their names? Right? Like you just like you keep working and working and working over here. And the thing is, if, if you're on either of the extremes, you are out of balance. And you're not going to find meaning in the end of your life. On either one of those extremes. There's something in the middle. When you learn how to work when it's time to work, and 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 be a good worker, be a good employee, but whatever you're doing, like we don't work for ourselves. You guys know that? As Christ followers. Maybe you're not a Christian. I'm just talking to Christians right now. All right, if you're a Christ follower. We've seen Colossians 3.23, that very clear challenge that you're supposed to work, and when you work, work with all your heart because you're not working for man, you're working as if you're working for the Lord. When we work, we don't work for a boss, we work for our Heavenly Father. And so when I work, I'm working as if my Heavenly Father's looking at me and He's saying, I'm pleased with you, you're doing awesome. Even if I make mistakes, you know that failure at work is okay? Some of you are like, not on my boss, that's not okay. Like, your Heavenly Father says, yeah, you made a mistake, let's keep working. A mistake is a great opportunity to learn. If you don't make any mistakes, it means you're learning nothing, right? Work. Work is a good thing. It produces fruit for other people. It produces income for your family. Like, it is good to work, but work when you're supposed to. And then rest when you're supposed to rest. We were not made to work like 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day. Like, we're not designed, our bodies aren't designed for that. Our brains aren't, our relationships aren't designed. We're not designed and wired for that. And those that do that, you're going to burn out. Your soul's not going to keep up with your life. Your family's not going to keep up with your life for sure. And, uh, and, and you're going to get burned out. Rest when it's time to rest. We see this at the very beginning of all creation, Genesis chapter 2, on the seventh day. God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, it says, He set it aside and made it holy. Holy means set apart, different, other than. And He rested and looked at His work. If God, the creator of everything, took that day off, do you think you and I probably should take a day off? And we see that he set a pattern in the Old Testament. I believe it's still a gift in the New Testament. Take a day off. A day of rest for your souls, for your body, for your mind, for, and enjoy. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, and be merry that day. Right? You have to find that balance in between those two things. This is where priorities come into line, and I could do a whole sermon on priorities, but you, have, you choose what your priorities are. If your priorities are your family, if your priorities are relationships, um, you're not going to be way too far over at work, and you're going to be way too far over in laziness. Because it's also the opposite is true. Like, if you're just lazy and live off everybody else, <laughs> hmm. So, I think it's in Timothy as well. No, it's in Ephesians, where he says, like, if you've just been living off other people, you just stop and get a job. <laughs> you should take care of yourself, and, and if you're not taking care of your immediate family, you're worse off than a sinner. Like, you're, you're what? Like, that's what, that's what it says. So make some money. Do something with your life. Get a job. You're like, but the job I want is not available. Just get a J-O-B. Just get something. Do something. Produce something. Help somebody. Be a blessing. Work when it's time to work. Rest when it's time to rest. If you don't get that figured out, you will not live a meaningful life. 
and you'll get to the end. And I'm telling you, nobody sits on their deathbed and said, boy, I wish I spent more time in the office and neglected my kids more. That's not a deathbed conversation. Boy, I wish I was more lazy. Like, put it in balance. Okay, these are freebies, so I need to hurry up here. I have 11 seconds left. Okay. And last point, last point for me today. Invest in what matters, right? If time is short, if our life is a vapor, if we want to be content in life, then we need to invest our lives in what matters. And do you know what matters? It's God and people that matter. That's what really matters. Everything else is just everything else. God and people are the only eternal things that you have in your life that will matter, not just for this world under the sun, but for the one that will be forever. And so if God and people are all that we get to take with us, then I think we should invest in those two things with our whole life. Jesus summed it up very clearly. All through the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of laws that they put into place for the Israelites. This law, that law, don't do do this, that, that. Like all these things were put together and all those laws were wrapped up in trying to help them to understand how to relate with God and how to relate with each other. And then Jesus comes back and they, uh, they ask him the question. They say, so of all the laws, which is the most important? And Jesus says, this is it. This sums it all up. You've read it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And like, so that's the one. He said, no, this is a two-parter. And love your neighbor as yourself. It all boils down to this. If you want to live a contented life, you put God and others first. You live and love God, and you live for and love people. Loving God and loving others is the ultimate meaningful life. So my question for you is, who are the people in your life? How are you loving them? Practically, what are you doing to live in love in those relationships, especially those closest to you? And how are you loving God? How are you living for God? Does God matter in your life? Is he a priority? Have you gotten to know him? Do you talk to him? Do you pray to him? Do you, do you read his love letter to you? His love letter is his word. It's scriptures. That's his love letter to you. It's him showing himself to you. Do you spend that time with him? Because I'm telling you, you'll spend time with those you love. And God wants you to spend time with him and to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength with everything that's in you. Today, if you don't know God, I'm telling you, that's where it all starts. That's the point of the, this message. It all starts with God. Next week, you're going to learn how it all ends with God as we wrap up Ecclesiastes. Um, but today, we're going to be kind of transitioning into a time of communion this morning, and it's, it's a perfect time for us to take communion because communion is that reminder of what it's all about. Communion is a reminder of what God's done for us. So I, I want us to take a time of response. I'm going to pray. We're just going to take a time to just respond for a little bit, and, uh, and we'll let God continue to speak to us. So God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't hold back in your word that you love us so much that you didn't hide from us and you love us so much that you've given us scripture you've given us your truth that you've given us your Holy Spirit that you've filled us with knowledge and understanding that we can't get from ourselves or the world that we live in and I pray this morning whatever for those of us in this room who are Christ followers who are Christians for any of us that, that you would be challenging our hearts right now because we don't want to waste our life. It's a short life we live, and we don't want to waste it. So in this time of response, even in this time of communion, just expose the things in our hearts that are creating unhealthy discontentment. And those things we try to fill or regulate our emotional thermostat with, that, that just isn't you. And that we would confess that to you today, God and that we would find you today and be freed from those things, that we would be truly contented in your presence. And God, right now, as we take a moment to respond in communion as well, just, just lead us. Just lead us in this time. For those of you in this room that you're just kind of pursuing this God, that, that you don't know him really well yet, 
and you're curious about who he is, I, I want to tell you exactly who he is, okay? In John 3, 16 through 18, we learn about who God is. For God so loved this world, for God so loved you, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. His name is Jesus Christ. We all get choices to make in a relationship with God, and that's whether you want to get to know him or you don't. You want to have a relationship with this God that did this for you or you don't, and that's the free will choice that all of us get. Today, if you don't know this God, you can know him. I mean, that passage very clearly says he could have come and condemned us all in that moment, but he chose not to. His love sent his son. His love hold Christ, held Christ on the cross to pay for our sin on that cross. Because sin, the cost of sin is death. He died for us. He died for our sin. If we confess and we believe who he is and what he did for us, you can have eternal life. You can have a relationship with him. Because it's not your own works. It's not your own goodness. It's not your own perfection. It's not your own earning. None of that gets you to God. It's only in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, if you want that, you can just invite him in. You can say, God, I, I've been trying. I've been trying to do this thing. I've been trying to be good enough. God's stirring something inside of you right now, and he's saying, I want to be with you. Come to me. If that's you, you can invite him into your life right now, and you can confess that Jesus is your Savior. He is God's Son. So let's pray. And if that's you, uh, in a moment, if you know Christ, anybody who knows Christ and has made that commitment to life can join us in communion, because communion is the reminder of that sacrifice on the cross. It was God's body, or Jesus' body and his blood, broken and shed for our sins. That makes us right and forgiven before God. And that's what the representation of the bread and the juice is. It's Christ crucified for us. It's the reminder we didn't do it. He did it for us, and he loves us so much. And so if you know Christ, you can join us in communion. But if you don't, I would ask you just to stay seated, and it's okay. Nobody judges you around here. Um, because we don't take communion lightly. We don't take this moment with God lightly. But if you want to know him today and you want to join us in communion, you can pray with me. Let's pray. You can say this. Say, God, I believe your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and it should have been me in his place. I want to be with you for eternity, God. And I want to live for what really matters and I believe you're the one that really matters. And so give me Jesus. <laughs> Forgive me of my sins. Free me. Clean me out from the inside out and remove all the struggle and the pain so that I can be free for you to live for you. So I give you everything. I give you my whole life, God. I want to be yours now and forever. And I thank you for Jesus giving me that opportunity today. Give me your Holy Spirit and help me walk with you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.